So, uh, just as we're, we're wrapping up the year, we're actually wrapping up uh, this series that we've been doing in the book of Philippians. Uh, I think this is time number eight that we've been in this book. And so uh, we're going to wrap it up tonight. Um, I'm going to look at chapter four this evening. And unfortunately, um, I don't have the ability to talk about the whole thing because there's just so much in there. But I'm going to focus a little bit on um, one particular part of that chapter. Uh, So if you've got a Bible, uh, grab it. And uh, I would love to have you look at this with me. So yeah, go to Philippians chapter 4 with me if you would, and I'm going to read just verses 4 through 7. We're going to look at just four little verses tonight. So uh, look at Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's the four verses we're going to look at tonight. And I actually want to zoom in uh, just to start with verse 6. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious. So this is a passage about anxiety. Anxiety. Uh, so according to uh, this, this very official-sounding organization that I've never heard of, maybe you have, the American College Health Association. They say uh, that in 2018, this, is, this kind of blows my mind, over 60% of college students in America said that in the last year they had experienced an overwhelming amount of anxiety. So that's 60%. Like if you were to take this room and you were to take just 60% of who's here, I'd probably say that'd be like down the middle and then everyone on this side. That's like a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so, you know, everyone has acknowledged like anxiety is a big deal. Uh, The numbers are really going up. It only seems to be going up as time goes on. And, uh, and, And not only is that like a really big mental health problem, that's also a really big personal problem. Uh, Because if you're someone here tonight who's ever had the experience of dealing with anxiety, I mean, you'll know it's a really debilitating thing. And it affects just about every part of your life. Um, And I'm actually speaking tonight a little bit personally. Um, You know, although I probably would not say that this has been something um, that has characterized most seasons of my life. There was, in, in particular, one season about a year ago where for the span of probably about two months, I really got hit hard, and I mean hard, um, by some pretty significant anxiety attacks. I'd never had that happen before. I really have not told many people about this, so this may be news to some of you. Uh, but there was a season for, for about two months where that, like, I just was really pretty badly hit with that. I remember there were, there were two days in particular where like, I, um, it was so bad. I remember one of those nights I, I couldn't sleep at all. And uh, that it was so debilitating that, like, I basically was flat on my back, <laughs> you know, just could not really do anything um, for, for a solid period of, you know, 24 hours. And so anyway, like, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a hard thing. And um, one of the things that's just so cool about Scripture, especially when you preach through Scripture in an expository way where you're allowing Scripture to set the agenda rather than just cherry-picking your favorite parts, is that you get to see what Scripture says about so many different things and how the gospel actually has, has an impact on every different aspect of life. And actually, um, the gospel, believe it or not, has something to say about anxiety. So if you're here tonight, and that's part of your story, if you've experienced that, then know that the Bible has good news about that. 
And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at this based on these four little verses in Philippians. And what we're going to find um, is that this passage will tell us three things about anxiety and how to deal with it. So number one, it gives you the true diagnosis for anxiety. It gives you the true cure for anxiety, and it points you to the great physician. So you've got a diagnosis, you've got a cure, and you've got the great physician. So I want to look at these uh, really quickly here. Uh, So uh, number one, the diagnosis. Well, just take a look at verse uh, four here. So uh, verse four, there's sort of a couple of things that, that, that I want to point out from these verses. But, but number one is just in, in, in the first verse that we read. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So, so I want to suggest here that it actually is significant that this passage about anxiety starts out by talking about Jesus. Now you kind of think, well, you know, of course, the guy's a Christian. Of course he's going to say it all has to deal with Jesus. You know, tell me something I don't know. But, but think about this. The reason that this is important is because you know, I don't know if you've noticed, this is a very stark contrast to the way that our culture thinks about not just anxiety, but any kind of, of mental health issue. So, think about this. If you uh, were, go to, were to go to a doctor, um, you know, now actually I have personal experience of this because both of my parents um, are or have been doctors. My brother and sister are on their way to becoming doctors. I have to eat four apples a day just to deal with my own family. It's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for whoever uh, laughed. That was uh, very kind of you. Yeah, well, so hey, you know, if you, if you were to go see a doctor, um, you would probably be told that anxiety, is a, it, it's, it's a physical problem that we have brains and that sometimes brain chemistry can get, can get bent out of shape and that therefore the, 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 the thing that anxiety really is is that it's, it's bad brain chemistry and that therefore the solution is a pill to correct the brain chemistry. And that kind of view would see human beings as just physical creatures, just sort of a, a bunch of atoms and molecules all randomly smashed together. But the Bible's view of what it means to be human is different. And so it actually looks at anxiety differently. The Bible, so first of all, I want to say this, that the Bible is not against medication. You know, like if you are someone who struggles with any kind of like physical issue or or mental health issue, sometimes medication can be the very best, uh, the right step. But the Bible goes beyond that. It says that we're not just bodies, but we're also body, soul, and spirit. And because of that, it's possible, yeah, that, that there might be issues that a pill can address, but that we actually need more than just a pill. That, 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 that can't fill your soul. That can't fill your spirit. And, um, and, and so just getting that balance right is important. I, I often think of the story in, uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah. Anyone remember Elijah the prophet? And uh, there's this time where Elijah actually um, kind of goes through a little stint of depression where he's just, he's just like defeated all the prophets of Baal. But then Queen Jezebel threatens him and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, Elijah. Better run for your life. And so he does. And Elijah kind of goes from mountaintop to, 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 to lowest of lows, you know, almost like he almost feels a little bit like he had a sort of a bipolar moment there. And he, he tells God, he says, God, like, I, I've, I'm, I've had enough. I'm throwing in the towel. You know, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And look at, look at how God responds in that story. You know, what God does not do is he doesn't say, you know, Elijah, you really need to just, you know, read your Bible more and you need to be praying more and do all these spiritual things and have you pled the blood of Jesus over, over your discouragement? Have you, have you, you know, confessed your sin to a Christian friend? Have you done all the churchy things? No, what God does is he says, Elijah, I want you to take a nap 
And while you're taking a nap, I'm going to send an angel to make you a meal. Uh, Take a nap, eat some healthy food, and then uh, you'll feel better. (laughs) And sure enough, that's what happens. And and so it goes to show that the Bible actually has a very, like, nuanced view of what it means to be human. It says that, look, we're we're spirit and soul, we're also body. And sometimes what you really just need is just a good night's sleep. (laughs) You know what they say? They say if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you got to be just a little bit more mindful of... uh, what you say and what you do. If you're able to remember that, it's, uh, it's an acronym, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Anyway, that one's free. <laughs> but the point is, the point is, the Bible has a, a, just a much different view of this than the way that our culture does, which is why this passage starts off with Jesus. And it says that if you don't have Jesus in the equation, then it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, you're probably not going to be able to permanently kick it. So that's the first thing to notice, is that the Bible says that, look, there actually is a spiritual dimension to anxiety. But I want to go a little deeper here uh, and and just notice a couple other things in these verses. So um, if it's partly a spiritual issue, well, what, what actually is that? And according to this passage, one answer to that is that the issue goes back to control, to control. Uh, I think this is something Candace pointed out when she shared her testimony a couple of weeks ago. But look at, look at verse 6. So verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, there's sort of two halves to that verse. Uh, and, and the second half is kind of the part that talks about the, the, the cure, like God's response for anxiety. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But you've got the first half of the verse. And the first half of the verse is just as, you know, it's about anxiety. It says, do not be anxious. But then the second half of the verse says, you know, there, there's, there's a contrast here. It says, but. And then it goes on to say, but, you know, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So you've got two halves of the verse. You've got on one side, you've got, got, got anxiety on this side. And then on the other side, it, it talks about taking all of those things, all the things you need, all the things you're struggling with, all the things you're dealing with, and look at what it says. It says that the, the thing to do is to not try to figure it all out by yourself. You know, it's not just to try to, you know, lock yourself in a room with a Bible and think, man, if I just read this thing enough, if I pray enough, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it all out. It's not about figuring it out. It says, instead, present your requests to God. It's saying, like, look to God for help. So, so think about this, and, and let me just kind of paraphrase this in a different way. So one side of the verse says, God, you're the one in control. You know, you're the only one who can actually handle all the things in my life, so I'm going to take those things to you. And then on the other side it's the opposite. It's the other side of the verse says, I have to be the one in control. I'm the only one who's got what it takes. I'm the only one who can handle all the things in my life. And the word that you'd use to describe that is control. Control. Now think about this. Like, think about why it is that control leads to anxiety. Because what, you're, what, what really is happening when, when you're just trying to like have a grip on every single thing in your life is that you are trying to play God. You're trying to play God. And that is exhausting. You know, you're going to be constantly thinking like, man, like, I don't want people to look at me and and to think this about me. And so you just try to like control the way that you behave around other people. You try to control what other people think about you by kind of showing parts of yourself and not showing parts of yourself. 
You know, or the other thing that we do, and the other way that we try to play God is with our plans. Um, is Devante is Devante still here? I think did he? I think he slipped out. Okay, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on Devante not because you know not because we don't love Devante, but because we do. But here's a fun fact about Devante. Do you know that Devante? He told me once he wrote out a plan for his entire life. You know, so like when he was gonna graduate from school, when he was gonna get married, and he even on his plan included the year that he was going to die. You know, obviously a little <laughs> a little speculative. Oh, there he is. Hi, Devante. I'm talking about you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but the point is, the point is, human beings are planners. I think Americans in particular are planners. But, but think about what can happen when your plan doesn't go the way that you anticipate. So it's like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the middle of my 20s, and I had planned that by this time, you know, I would have this kind of job. Or like, I'm, I'm getting close to age 30, let's just say, and I really thought that I was going to be married by now, and I'm not. And I'm not. And, and so every time, like, something that you plan doesn't go the way that you, you thought it would, like, what does it lead to? At least anxiety. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not married yet. You know, what's gone wrong? What did I do? You know, I, where did I miss God's leading? Where did I miss the right person to marry? And it leads to anxiety. It leads to anxiety. Now, I'm not saying that plans are wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that you, like, you shouldn't actually be wise and responsible. But I am saying that like, if you try to like, just grip your life and not let it go, and if you're the one who's in the driver's seat, then that is going to lead to be anxious when things don't go the way that you expect. And by the way, I would say that one of the places where the rubber really meets the road on that is actually right now, in your 20s. You know, it's really easy to go through school, like high school, and, and just to kind of have all these dreams about what life is going to be like. But you're still probably, like, living at home with your parents, and they're paying all your bills, you know, and school is pretty easy. And then, you know, like, you go to college, or you go to a job, and then you realize, oh my gosh, like, life is hard. It has practicalities. I wasn't anticipating this. And you realize, okay, here's my dream. Here's reality. Oof, like, that's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not what I thought it was going to be. So, so, what this verse is pointing to is that control causes anxiety. Control causes anxiety. I think this is why social media contributes to anxiety, because it just shows you more things in your life that haven't gone the way that you wanted to, the way that you wanted to control things to be. Because, you know, it's like looking at everyone else's curated Instagram lives, you know, and you just kind of compare that to your life and you think, oh my gosh, like now I'm anxious because like I'm not nearly as glamorous or as cool looking or as successful as all these other people. It's exhausting to try to play God and it doesn't work. So the question is, what does this verse say about that? Like, is there actually a way to kind of take your hands off of your life and, and, and to no longer be, be completely in, in the grip of, of, of anxiousness? And the answer is yes. So I, I'm going to look a little bit more closely again um, at what this verse says in verse 6 here. So let me read this one more time. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, on the one hand, it's pretty simple. It's saying, like, look, you are not God. If this verse is calling us to take all of our needs and all of, the, all of our prayers and to say, like, God, you're the only one who's big enough 
to handle all this. Like, I need to take those things to you. You know, basically, that, like, that, that, is, that is flying a flag of surrender. It's flying a white flag of surrender, and it's saying, God, I am not sufficient in and of myself. God, I'm not wise enough in and of myself. God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. Like, I am not, I'm not competent enough to know how to like, live a happy life. Um, I'll tell you, some of the things in my life that have actually been the very, very best choices that I've made are kind of choices that I didn't want to make. <laughs> like, it was not the thing that I wanted to have happen. So, like, even, like, being here, involved in Thrive, like, I did not plan on doing that. In fact, some of you who, who know a little bit about the, the last couple of years of my life know that before this, I was living overseas. You know, I wasn't even living in America. I thought, oh, man, I, I'm kind of glad to not have to be back in Gig Harbor, my hometown. You know, that's not cool. I'm going to go somewhere else. And sure enough, I, got, I came back to Gig Harbor. I got stuck in Gig Harbor. And for a span of about nine months, I was just kind of wandering from odd job to odd job, just trying to like, seek God for his direction in my life. And I thought, man, this is not according to plan. Like I actually had a job for a couple of months that literally involved cleaning toilets. And I just thought, man, how did I get here? Well, <laughs> what I didn't realize at the time was that had it not been for all of those circumstances, I would never have had the opportunity to step into the role that I have now getting to lead this ministry. And I'll tell you that even though that was never in the cards, these last three years have been probably some of the best three years, uh, best years um, of my life. Like I've seen um, God grow me and stretch me and move me closer to him than I have in, in you know, probably the last you know, seven to ten years. Didn't anticipate that. Didn't anticipate that. So look, like I'm not smart enough, you're not smart enough to know what actually is best for your life. And so when Paul says, like, take your requests, take your needs, take, you know, take your life and present it to God, that's sort of a way of saying, like, God, I admit, <laughs> I admit, I need you. I need you to be God over my life. So the first thing this says is pretty darn simple. It just says, take your hands off of your life. And give your life into God's hands. Take your hands off your life and put your life in God's hands. That's the safest place it can be. But I want to point something out to you here. Did you notice that this verse actually is nuanced? So I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So one of the things about anxiety and one of the things about depression is that I think it's, it, it's, it's a, a strategy of the enemy that pushes us toward passivity. You know, like I, I experienced this. You know, I ha- told you that there, there was like a couple of days where like I was so flat in my back that I just couldn't do anything. It was debilitating. And that's true. But I also want to point out in this verse that what Paul is saying here is not the same thing as passivity. So he says, like, you've got prayers, you've got petitions, you've got requests. And that it's actually good to have desires for your life. You know, it's good to say, man, Lord, like, I do, you know, like, here's kind of what I'm hoping for in my life. Um, and, and, you know, like, I really would want to be married someday. Or I really would want to, um, you know, kind of follow your call to, to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a this or to be a that. You know, those things aren't wrong. 
Um, you know, it's true that the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, and that therefore you have to be careful about trusting the desires of your heart. But it also says that God gave you a new heart. And that therefore it's very possible that, that God is going to use your desires in order to lead you to obey him. And so, so you know, he, hear me when I say that Paul is not saying, oh, you know, just, just kind of become, you know, sort of Christian wallpaper and just don't have any desires and don't have any prayer requests and, and, and just, you know, give your life over to God and just become a Christian robot. It's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that we're called to do what Jesus did. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's saying, like, I don't want to go to the cross. <laughs> he said, you know, he, he's, he's in the garden. He's in such agony that he's sweating blood. And he says, Father, like, I know what lies ahead of me. Like, I know that in fewer than 24 hours, I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be experiencing the worst kind of physical suffering that humans can ever conceive. And on top of that, like, I'm going to not just experience that, I'm also going to be experiencing the total cosmic weight of sin and judgment of every human being who has ever lived for every wrong thing that has ever been done. All of that will be on my own shoulders. And he says, like, Father, I don't want to experience that. <laughs> and who can blame him? <laughs> I mean, if we had any idea exactly how much Jesus suffered, then I don't know that there ever would be, I, I don't know that there would be a non-Christian on earth. I mean, I know that, I'm not going to get into the, the debates and theology, but I'm just saying, like, the reason I think that so many of our hearts are cold to God is that we have no idea of the huge price that he paid to buy us back. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And he knew how much it would cost him. And he said, Father, if it's possible for you to take this cup of, cup of suffering away from me, then please, please, please do it. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He takes his will, he takes his desire to be the one in control. And this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Jesus comes under the will of the Father, and he says, Father, you're the one in control. You're the one in control. And even though, like, all I can see ahead of me is just darkness and confusion and pain, I trust that you are a good father and that whatever your will is, is ultimately what is best. And sure enough, through what Jesus did, through the Father's will, that's why all of us are here tonight. Because the Father's will was through Jesus' suffering to not only bring about our salvation, but his exaltation. Because as it says earlier in Philippians, it was because Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that therefore God exalted him and put him in the highest place. So, on the one hand, like, we're called uh, to, to, to recognize that like, it's not necessarily easy to, to give up control. And then it's not wrong to do what Job did and say, God, this is hard. This is hard. It's hard to not be in the driver's seat of my life. But what Jesus did and what he calls us to do is to recognize that we have a good father who knows more about how to love us than we know how to love ourselves. <clears throat> um, I heard a pastor once say this, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Maybe you've kind of experienced this, but he just, he, he just made this interesting point. He was sort of talking about the journey of following Jesus, 
And he said that there, there, there tends to be um, what you might call like a turning point moment in the life of, of most followers of Jesus. And he did not mean kind of like your conversion. He did not mean the moment where you first come to trust in Jesus. Instead, he was kind of thinking of something you know, after that, maybe a couple of years, number of years in. And, and the moment that he was describing was kind of the moment when God confronts you with some kind of situation where there's your will and there's his will. And your will and God's will are not the same. In fact, they kind of go like this. And so all you're really left with is this question like, do I really trust this God or not? Like, am I willing to trust him with something that just makes no sense to me? That feels like death to me? Is he really who he says he is? And if you answer that question with yes, like if you kind of do the Jesus thing of saying like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Um, what this pastor said was that basically the rest of your Christian life, it's all kind of downhill from there. Like, you know, not downhill as in bad, but like it's all kind of like going down the hill rather than slogging up the hill because that's the turning point. That's the turning point of like actually coming to take your trust and your, the weight of your life and to rest that on Jesus. I don't know if you've had a moment like that, um, but, you know, that's just, just I think, an opportunity to, to practice what this is all talking about here. Uh, <clears throat> so, so, first of all, you've got the diagnosis. You've got the cure, um, which is not just, you know, to become wallpaper, not just to kind of say, I'm going to become a robot and never have any desires, but to say, I'm going to take those things and I'm going to trust Jesus with them. Um, just to summarize those first two points, you could say, say it like this, that control causes anxiety, but trust causes peace. Control causes anxiety, but trust causes peace. But finally, there's one last thing. And uh, this last thing is, um, what, what about the great physician? Um, who, who is it that we're coming to when we come to Jesus? Because look, the problem is, uh, you know, you can hear all of what I'm saying, and you can think, man, great, like, anxiety is something that I've struggled with. I know it's because I'm trying to just be the one in charge and in control of everything, and that's making me exhausted. I can't do it. I can't keep up with it. Uh, you might even recognize that, man, like, I really do need to kind of surrender this to someone other than myself. But the problem is, um, it's the trust thing. Where actually does the trust come from in order to be able to take something as significant <laughs> and as precious as your life and take your hands off of it and to give it to Jesus? And I think the solution to that is in who the great physician is. You know, Jesus was the one who was in total and perfect control of everything. In total and perfect control of everything. I mean, think about what that means. That means that um, when Jesus came down from heaven to earth, you know, that's not because the Father was forcing him to. You know, it's not that Jesus went to the cross because the father, like, kind of pointed a figurative gun at his head and said, you better do this. The Bible says that, that Jesus says that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And so Jesus was in control of everything. Like, everything he did, um, he did out of choice and out of, out of love and obedience to the father. But, but look at how Jesus uses his control. The way that it works in the world is that if you're the one in power, if you're the one in control, what do you do with it? You use it for yourself. You use it for yourself. You know, so like, uh, just thinking of a good example, like if you uh, <clears throat> find $100 on the ground 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of obvious that, like, this is a chunk of change here that someone probably didn't mean to lose. You know, I could kind of go turn it in, but, like, hey, I found it. I'm the one who's kind of in control of the situation. You know, what do you, you keep it for yourself. So, so we like to use our control in that way. Think about, like, why politics is so messed up. Because all the people in power just use all of their power for everyone who, who likes them, who votes them into office. And sometimes even Christians do that. Like, instead of using our vote in order to lift up those who are marginalized and voiceless, and, and we, we use our vote to do the things that make us the most comfortable. But look at what Jesus did. Jesus took his control, and instead of serving himself, he gave himself away. In John chapter 10, there's a part where Jesus is, t- he's just had this interaction with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, were the leaders of Israel. And Jesus says, you guys are bad leaders. He calls them bad shepherds. Because he says, you know, the shepherd's job is to watch over the sheep. But instead, you guys have been shepherds who have been using the sheep in order to fatten your purses. You know, you, you, you've been using the sheep in order to just get gain for yourself. Jesus says, I'm a different kind of shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The reason that you can trust Jesus with your life is because he laid down his life for you. Jesus took his hands off of his life so that you can take your hands off of your life to be anxiety free. He is the good shepherd. He is the great physician. And there is no one who is more trustworthy to be in control of your life. And that is good news. It's not all on you. You don't have to control everything. You don't have to be the one to figure it all out. Christianity is not about figuring it out. It's about trusting in the one who already has it figured out for you. So with that, I want to I want to kind of have us move to small groups here, but just before I do that, I want to I'm going to close in prayer. You know, I always close in prayer, but this time I want to actually be a little bit more um, solemn and deliberate about that. And just as I'm praying, I would invite you to pray with me. Um, And, and, you know, you might even want to just take on um, maybe a different posture than you usually would. Like, you know, I would invite you, if you choose to, to kind of hold open your hands, maybe in a posture of surrender. If you want to get down on your knees or even kind of come up here and kneel in front of the stage, you can do that. Um, But what I want to do now is just pray and invite God, just to, by his spirit, just to invite us to be, to, to be surrendering to him anything that we're holding on to, that we're trying to control, that is actually leading to anxiety in our lives. Okay, so would you do that with me? <clears throat> Father, we just declare tonight that you are good and trustworthy. And that you proved that by being the one who was in total control, but who used his control to lay down your life for us. We declare that you're the good shepherd. We declare that you're the only one who is trustworthy of our lives. Spirit, I pray that you would be bringing to mind right now just things in our lives that we're holding on to, places where we say, man, I'm never going to give this up. Like, it just makes no sense to give this up. God, you and I see things differently. I'm I'm not going to budge on this. Father, would you just make known those things, and would you just give grace right now 
for us to feel safe to surrender those things to you, and for us to wave a white flag of surrender and to admit that we're actually not the ones who are the best at, at holding that part of our life, that you're the one who really knows what you're doing. Father, we give you our plans, and we give you our confusion, and we give you our heartache. Father, we just give you all the things that, that we are still holding on to. Would you take those things? Would you replace them with your truth, with your life, with your light? Would you heal those parts of our lives? And Father, would we just come to love you more as we recognize that you are the good shepherd, not us. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.